Good to see you guys. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm so glad you guys are here today because we're talking about your favorite subject, money. Yeah, I know. It's your favorite subject. No, this is going to be a great message. I'm so glad you guys are here. Here at Stapleton Church, we're all about helping people follow Jesus. We want to help you on that spiritual journey, and we want to make sure you come back today after the second service, 12:15. This is a great way to connect to our community because it is really hard, maybe impossible, to follow Jesus alone. You need community. We want to encourage you to choose community, and we want to encourage you to do that. You know, I'm really proud of our church community. I was gone the last couple weeks in California um, for school, and uh, I, I, we had somebody in our church that had a medical emergency, was in the hospital, and I found out like late Friday night. So I called them first thing Saturday morning, first thing, and two people from our church had already been there to see this family. That's pretty incredible. So thank you guys for being an awesome community. And I think that's really cool. We can continue to pray for the family, the, the Friel family, um, Walt, uh, and his uh, time in the hospital and in recovery. So um, I love our church. I love our community. I want you guys to get plugged in. That's a big thing. Next week's baptisms, if you want to say, hey, I, I want to be a part of this community, but i kind of been slinking in the background. This is a good way to go public and say, hey, I want to be a part of this church community. We want to encourage you to do that. Um, fill out your connection card for that. And also the other thing I want to say is we've, Starting to talk about it, but starting September 8th, we are going to have a Sunday night service. Sunday night. This is really big because this is a way to reach people who can't come on Sunday mornings. We have a lot of people that have to work that are sleeping in, whatever it is. Not you guys. You guys are the early risers. I love you. But there's some people that don't do it as much. So that's why we're going to have 6.30 p.m. on Sunday night starting September 8th. And if you're interested in saying, hey, I can commit to that service or I'd help volunteer at that service to get it off the ground for the first six months, make sure you mark that on your connection card as well. I'd love for your help with that. Okay, without further ado, let's jump into our message on money. Because money is the answer to everything, right? It's the answer to everything, right? I, I, you say no, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, right. But we kind of act like it, don't we? We kind of act like it. If we have a problem, we just need a little bit more money to take care of it. We just need a raise so that I can get to the point where we're, not, we're living with a little more margin. Or if we can just get out of debt then life would be so much more secure for our future. Or maybe even just savings. If I could just have six months of savings saved up, man, that would be a, a miracle. And I, my life would be so good if I just had that much savings. For some of you, it's like, I, I just need to stop living paycheck to paycheck. Other, like, I wish I had more retirement. Some of you are like, if I just had more money at work, then I could do this. I could hire an employee who could actually get the job done. We act like money could solve everything, right? And the truth is it can solve some issues. But what we do is we, learn, we have learned in our lives to rely on money for security, for safety, and even for our happiness. Can it do all of those things? Can it do all those things? I mean, and it's not just individually in, in our families, but it's our society as a whole. If you look on one side of the political spectrum, they say, oh, people need to work harder, have a better work ethic. And if they do that, they can pull themselves up by their bootstraps, have enough money, and they will succeed. Money is the answer. On the other side of the political spectrum, it's saying, hey, there's systems in place in our culture and in our society that make it so hard for people to actually do that. We need to take the, the money from the people that are making so much. I mean, billionaires, do you really need that much money? Take that money and, and let's help give that to the people who are struggling. Just give them a, a little bit of a boost to help them up. You know, it's the same between both sides. Money is the answer. Money is the answer. Money is the solution. Money is the way to security, safety, and happiness. But is that true? Is it the way to our happiness? 
Well, Solomon looked at that problem in his book, Ecclesiastes, and that's what we've been going through in our series. We're now in the eighth week and our eighth message in this series through the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8, and we'll go through chapter 6 as well. You can follow along on a smartphone. We're going to have the verses up on the screen as well. And this book has been so interesting because um, we're pretty sure it was written by Solomon, who was the king at the time, and he had everything. He was rich, as we'll talk about today. He was rich, he had wealth, he had power, he had authority, he had lots of women at his beck and call. He had everything, and yet he looked at life and said, that's not enough. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And today we're going to see how money is the thing that many people go after, thinking that will provide meaning, hope, life, happiness in my own life or in our society. Sadly, falls through. So if you want to read with me, we're going to start in verse 8 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Solomon wrote, If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights being denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all The king himself profits from the field. So he's looking at a societal basis now, and he's saying, hey, the poor, they're oppressed. They don't get justice. We've looked at that elsewhere in this series. But he's saying, hey, particularly from a monetary point of view, the poor don't have what they need. Everybody else is taking it. There's this type of bureaucracy going around. We're not sure if it's a business bureaucracy or a governmental one, but everybody is taking money, aren't they? There's always hands that are out to take money. Oh, we need these taxes. Oh, you've got to pay back with interest. There's money going and going and going, and everybody has their hand out and is taking money, and it leaves the people at the bottom, the poor, unable and, and unsuccessful at leaving their poverty. Even the king himself, and this is Solomon, I think he's saying from his personal perspective, and he sees it in other nations, hey, I'm, I'm rich. What's going on? Why, why can't you figure it out? But this is how it works, isn't it? There's always somebody else above us taking money. So the problem is clear. It's bureaucracy and government that's the problem, right? If we could fix that, if we could fix that, then everybody would be happy because then there would be enough money for the poor people. Is that the solution, Solomon? Let's keep reading in verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. Havel, we've looked at that word. A vapor, smoke. Verse 11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? You'd think after that first section that Solomon was going to say, we've got to fix the governmental issue. We've got to figure out the redistribution of wealth, or we've got to provide ways so that we can lower the taxes so that people can make money. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says the problem is everyone. It says in verse 10, whoever loves money. See, the problem isn't rich versus poor. The problem is us. We're all the problem because we all want more money. We all want more wealth. We all want more stuff. If we could just go shopping more and have more stuff, then everything would be good. And the more goods there are, the more there are people who consume them. It's all of us. It's not a rich or poor problem. It's a human problem. That we have this desire to be wealthy, to make more money, and then everything will be happy. And that doesn't ever seem to work out. 
You know, there was a study done on some third world countries to look at levels of happiness. And they compared some countries and even to some modernized countries. Now, I want you guys to think about it. If you were to compare the people, the poorest of the poor in Honduras versus the poorest of the poor in Chile, who would be happier? Well, if you know anything about the economy, you know that Chile's economy is much better than in Honduras. Is that me or is it something else? Can you mute some of the other mics, Sonny? Thanks. You know that, um, that in Chile there's a better economy. It's more modernized. In fact, the poor people in Chile make twice the amount of money as the poor people in Honduras. So who's happier? Actually, the people in Honduras. That doesn't make any sense, right? We think if you have more money, you get happier. We build entire governmental systems. We send out NGOs all around the world because if we just help the poor get out of their poverty, then everybody will be happy. But it's not true. For some reason, money is never enough. Having more of anything is never enough. You know, and he even goes into stuff in in verse 11. He says, as goods increase, so do those consume them. It's not just money, but it's the stuff that we buy. You guys been shopping lately? Been shopping lately? You know, you're buying some new clothes. You get, you get your new swimsuit for the summer. Oh, my gosh, I need another one. It's out of season, isn't it? It's out of style now. I need a different one. I, I need to buy some more stuff. I, my iPhone's getting old. I need the newest iPhone. It, it happens all the ta- time. But he says it's meaningless. It's meaningless. I, I remember there's an old cartoon from the New Yorker. Do you remember this, this one from a few years ago? There's a man at the deathbed, probably of his father, and it says at the bottom, I should have bought more crap. Isn't that what everybody says on their deathbed? I should have bought more crap. Now, the reality is is nobody's saying this at the deathbed. When you actually have a, a moment of realization about what your whole life has been, you're saying, all that stuff was worthless. Now somebody's going to have to clean it out of my attic. You ever cleaned out somebody's attic after they passed away? Oh, my gosh. I remember cleaning out my great-grandma's attic, and we found a piece of cake from her wedding day. Seventy years old, and it was still up there. But that's what we do. All this stuff, we just accumulate it, and there's more and more and more and more stuff. I remember there was a study I read about in UCLA, and they went out into houses in the area just to examine the stuff people had. And they found out in all the houses that they went to that 70, I'm sorry, nine out of ten households had too much stuff in their house so that they had to store it in the garage. Nine out of ten. And you guys are like, just nine out of ten? Yeah, just nine out of ten. And 75% of those people had so much stuff in their garage that they couldn't put their car in the garage. Megan, anybody feel guilty? You're like, me too. <laughs> because that's how it is. We have so much stuff that we don't even use. We've got to store it in the garage. We've got to store it in the basement. We've got to get it into a storage facility. Man, if it's in a storage facility and you haven't touched it for a few years, it might be time to bring in storage wars, right? Sell it off. But that's what we do, isn't it? Our, it's the human problem. We all do it. We're not pointing the fingers. We're pointing the finger at ourselves, aren't we? We all do this. There's never enough money. It never provides happiness. We need more stuff to bring us out of happiness. Verse 12, Solomon continues. It's interesting. He says that the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Interesting. 
saying, you think it's only bad for the poor? Yeah, they're oppressed. Yeah, they don't get justice. We already talked about that. But now, look at the poor. They're actually sleeping well. It doesn't matter how much they eat. But the rich, they have anxiety. And they have to take sleeping pills. They can't sleep at all because they're worried about their wealth, their investments. Oh, no, the stock market crashes. Oh, my gosh. You lost millions of dollars. You lost more than some people will make in lifetimes. There was another study out at the University of Virginia that was really fascinating because they looked at um, economic trends in our nation. And they found that when the economy was doing poor, I'm sorry, when the economy was doing really well, it was was blowing up and, and... Businesses were starting, unemployment was low. When that happened, there were more health problems in our nation and more early deaths. However, when the economy was doing poorly, there were less health problems and people lived longer. How does that make sense? Seems like it should be the inverse. Is the economy stupid, right? Is the economy stupid? If we just fix the economy, everybody would be happy and healthy. No, it doesn't seem to work that way. It's almost the inverse. Verse 13. I have seen a grievous evil under the wealth hoarded to... I'm sorry, I skipped a line. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. He's going to go through a few different problems that he sees with money, but here's one of them. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. And... You've, you maybe saw this news story uh, in last year, a couple of years ago. There was a guy in Spain, a hoarder, literally got crushed by his own stuff, crushed to death. So that can literally happen. Physically, it can harm you. But it can also bring just stress and anxiety, worry that you're always worrying about your stuff. Is it being taken care of? Oh, we need a security alarm. Oh, we need someone to take care of that. Oh, it's going into disrepair. There's stress and anxiety that just happens with more money, more stuff. Verse 14, Solomon continues, Or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Some people store up so much money, investing it, so that I have something for my kids, and then it's gone. Bernie Madoff took it all. Right? This happens. This is what happens to money, and there's nothing left for children. And the Bible does teach us that it's important to set aside money for our kids and for our grandkids as an inheritance. Um, in fact, if we can see this in the book of Proverbs, we're taught in verse 13, 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Is that, is that me, Sonny? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what the problem is, guys. I'm sorry about that. Just trying to make sure you're still awake. <laughs> Nobody's sleeping today. Inheritance is good to leave to your children's children so they have something to build on and even to give them money in their lifetime, in your lifetime. You know, people are living longer and longer and longer. The time you have your kids inherit their money, they're in their 70s. They're like, oh, that's not going to help much now. You know, but but (laughs) back in the day, people died in their 40s and 50s. You know, it was actually like, oh, okay, now we can work on this business. You know, but there is something important about leaving money to your kids. And what he's saying is that you think you're doing it, you're storing up all this money, but it actually isn't going to help. Or even something that's worse than that. You give the inheritance to their kids and then they waste it. Yeah, that happens all the time. They waste the money. Rags to riches in three generations. There's an Italian saying that says that. That's what people do. 
They don't even use the money well. You think, oh, I'm going to provide a great future for my kids, and then they waste it. Your grandkids, they're just blowing the money on, on who knows what. Grievous evil, Solomon calls it. Verse 15, he continues. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Hmm. That's why you don't see U-Hauls behind hearses, right? You're not taking it with you. There's nothing that you can accumulate in this life that you will carry to the next. Start naked, you end naked. Even if they put you in a nice suit when you die. All our stuff will be gone. All our stuff will be taken away. I don't think we actually realize this. We accumulate so much stuff, we store it. We have all this money that we'll never spend, this stuff that we'll never use, and your kids will not care about your stuff as much as you do. Let's be honest. Grad kids definitely won't. You know, I heard John Piper use the illustration once that it's, it's like we're going to an art museum. Okay, just imagine you're in an art museum and you're looking at the beautiful art and then you see a guy just start taking some art off the walls and putting it under his armpits, right? He gets one, he gets another one, he takes another one. And then he starts walking out the door and the security guards are like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? You can't take this out of here. And he said, oh, I, I thought I got to keep it. No, 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 no. You have to keep it in here so everyone enjoys it. Well, guess what? You're not taking any of your stuff with you. This life is like the art museum. You can enjoy it while it's here but you're not taking it with you. And yet we're like that man at the art museum, putting those pictures underneath our armpits, taking them out. It's not going to work. We're not taking anything with us. Our money will all be gone. Our stuff will all be gone when we die. You know, it's, it's fascinating. So we just read this first section of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and it seems like the answer is clear then. We need to go home and declutter. That's the answer, right? We need to simplify, sell our stuff. We, we need to minimize. We need to give all our money to the poor. Maybe we should even sell our house and go live in the desert. In a tent. That, that's got to be the answer, right? I don't know why we're having issues today. But you guys are nice that you're still listening. Sonny, it's my problem. It's not yours. Sonny gets the bad rap. You know, whoever's running sound when something happens, you think it's, you know, their problem. No, it's my problem. Yeah, something's going on with my cord, I think. So thank you, Sonny. Let's give him a round of applause for working so hard today. We appreciate our AV people. They work really hard here. Okay. So the answer is just to sell everything, right? No money. Don't ever accumulate stuff again. Just be poor, because poor is the way to go, right? Well, that's not actually what Solomon is going to say next. Verse 18. He says in verse 18, This is what I have observed to be good. That it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. 
Some people think he's talking ironically here, but I don't think so. I think he wishes he had that type of happiness and contentment. I think Solomon is looking, he says, I have everything. I have all the money, I have all the power, I have all the land, I have gardens and, and that, are, that are huge, immense gardens that people have come from all over the world to see. You can read about them in the book of Kings. People would bring him the wild animals, so he had his own private zoo, his own collection of stuff. Everything he wanted, he had, and he says it's not enough. He wants the longing. He says it's, it's a gift from God when you have wealth and possessions and you can enjoy them. See, the answer, what Solomon is saying, the answer is not to get rid of your stuff. In fact, he's saying it's a gift from God when you have it. Anything you have, whether you're rich or you're poor, whatever your work is, you need to enjoy and you need to eat and drink and find satisfaction in whatever you do. It's not how much you have, it's about the attitude you have. Solomon's trying to reframe our thinking, and I think we need to do this. Because we really do think money is going to bring us happiness. More stuff, if I just had that, if I just had a new car, then I'd be happy. But no, it's not the case. However, when we do have something, we need to enjoy it. That's literally what Solomon is saying. Enjoy your stuff. Enjoy your money. Use it well and wisely. He's not saying go sin with it. We can use our money. We can use our stuff. We can use our houses, our cars, our boats, and enjoy them well without sinning. In fact, God wants us to do this. C.S. Lewis, I, I think, hit the nail on the head when he said, It is a Christian duty, writing to one of his friends, as you know, for everyone to be as happy as he can. It's your Christian duty to be happy. Did you know that? Bet you you didn't. You thought being a Christian means you can't be happy. No, no, no. It's the opposite. Following Jesus is the way to true happiness, the only way to true happiness. And we should embrace it. We should seek after it. It's our duty, C.S. Lewis said. It's our duty. But we don't think that way. We think, oh, God doesn't want me to happen. Wrong. God wants you to be happy, truly happy. He wants you to have joy. We're going to talk about it in a minute here how to actually have that joy in our stuff and in our money. But I want you to realize this. God wants you to be happy. You know, uh, last week, Melissa and I celebrated our 10th anniversary. 10th anniversary. And while we were, were celebrating, I, I got her a necklace. And do you know what I didn't want her to do? I didn't want her to take that necklace and say, I love it so much, I'm going to put it in my drawer. I'm just going to leave it there. Maybe my kids can use it. What? No, I want her to wear it. In fact, I asked her the next day, did you wear the necklace? You know, when, when she came to church, I was like, did you wear it? And she had it on. And it made me happy because I gave it to her as a gift and I wanted her to use it and enjoy it, right? God gives us gifts. He wants us to enjoy them. Some of you need to change your mindset a little bit. Some of you think, oh, Christians, they're just all about no fun, no happiness. No, no, no. We should be the happiest people in the world. The most joyous people because God has given us so much. So much. That would be a great conclusion to the message, right? If the passage just ended there, wouldn't we like it? That's a good ending. But that's not where Solomon ends. In fact, in chapter 6, he continues this uh, discourse on money and stuff. And he says in chapter 6, verse 1, I have seen another 
evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. Some people have all this stuff, but they don't enjoy it. During my time in Nebraska, there was a guy who was building this huge mansion on the river. And I drove by and I was like, wow, that's a huge house. Who's building that? And I asked some people, oh, it's a dentist. And he's going to retire and, and, and bring his wife. And they're going to live in this house. He's, you know, he, he's been working his entire career. He's going to sell his practice. And he's moving here in the house. He died before they moved in. His whole life had been built up for this thing. This beautiful mansion on the river. And he couldn't enjoy it. He was gone before he did. He says it's a grievous evil. This is what happens. People don't actually enjoy the stuff and the money they have. Some people do by, by saying, I'll wait till I'm retired. I'll wait till things get less busy at work. And then I'll take time to enjoy my stuff. But sadly, we don't do that. You know, I, I think that one of the things that we deal with here is, is, is first world, world problems, right? Don't we have some first world problems? There's nothing to watch on Netflix. Have you ever said that? There's nothing to watch. Man, it used to be you have to physically go to Blockbuster. Do you remember that? That was my childhood. Physically go to Blockbuster to pick out one movie and you'd go home and you hoped it was good. Man, now you've got a thousand, thousand choices and we can't decide. And we complain about it. We complain because we go to Disney World and spend three days there and we still didn't get to see everything. There's too many options to choose from at the store. That's our problem in our culture. Yet we don't enjoy the stuff that we do have verse 3 Solomon continues he says a man may have a hundred children and live many years yet no matter how long he lives if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial I say that a stillborn child is better off than he you can't enjoy your life your money your stuff shouldn't have even been born And in verse 6, he continues, even if he lives a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Sad. Shouldn't have even been born. It's a grievous evil, he says. You know, we have this problem because the, 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 the stuff we do leads to more stuff, isn't it? Isn't it true? When you start a hobby, really what you're doing, you're buying stuff and then you need more stuff to support your hobby, right? And then you buy even more. You, you, you know, I'm, I'm a drummer and there's never-ending amount of drums and cymbals and percussion stuff that you can buy. And there's always the next thing. You get one thing, ooh, I think this is what I'm going to get next. This is what we do with our hobbies, right? And then we buy all that stuff. We finally have the money because we're working hard enough. We have the money. You buy the stuff. You get the great bike and then it sits in your garage and you can't use it because you're working all the time. You can't enjoy the stuff you do have. And then you feel guilty for having the stuff you saved up so much money, spent money on it, and it's sitting in your garage. And you feel guilty for not using it. I mean, it's pretty sad, right? A grievous evil. You can see why Solomon's saying, man, the money, the stuff that we have, the phone I just got a week later is obsolete. Somebody else has a better camera. And it's not good enough. I need the next one. John Steinbeck, the American novelist, once said, if you want to destroy a nation, give it too much. Make it greedy, miserable, and sick. Hmm. I kind of feel like that's what our culture's like. Solomon continues in verse 7. He says, 
Everyone's toil is for their mouth, so they can eat, so they can have good food. Yet their appetite is never satisfied. And then in verse 9, he says, Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. You know, our appetite is never satisfied. We get something, we need more. We get a raise, and then we spend money on that car, and then we have the car payment, and then we need another raise, right? This is what we do. We spend more the more we have. The more money you make, the more you spend. The bigger your house is, the more stuff you put in it. Then you need a bigger house. You know that in in the 1950s, the average house size was 1,500 square feet. Today, the average house size is 2,500 square feet. And family sizes are down, which means per person we have double as much space as people did in the 50s. And yet, people's satisfaction with their homes has stayed steady. Did you know since the 70s, personal income has tripled, and yet the amount of people who say they're very happy has stayed the same? In fact, people that make more money in our society have more rates of anxiety and depression and even suicide. It's not working. Money is not the answer. More stuff is not the solution. I think it's pretty clear, statistically, psychologically, biblically, if you don't believe the Bible, listen to the rest of that stuff. We know it's true. It doesn't make us happy. And yet still we want more. You might be like, Matt, I agree with you, but I could still use a raise. I get it. That's how our hearts are, aren't they? We're always longing for more. It's our appetite. It's something deep inside of us that's wrong. We don't know how to actually find happiness. But I can tell you this. It's not from money. It's not from more stuff. It's interesting this passage how it worked. Did you notice it? it started out by saying how awful money is and all the evil things that money brings? And whether you're rich or poor, there's all these problems in our society. And then it had that tiny little section about enjoy the stuff and the money you had. And then another long section on how bad money is. Did you notice that? It's interesting, in biblical Hebrew, and this was written in Hebrew, this part of the Bible, there's a form of literature or a literary technique that they call a chiasm. Do you remember that from literature class? Probably not. That's okay. It starts one way and ends one way. And it's almost like, okay, here starts here. It's almost like a cyclical version of, of life. You see this throughout the Bible. In fact, the whole Bible, the beginning is very similar to the end if you read it. But there, it, it occurs over and over again, this literary technique. And if you see it, you pick up on it, what you should notice is what's in the middle. Because what's in the middle can be very important. The beginning and the end is important, but also the middle. That's almost the, the most important point. And if you notice here in this passage in the middle, it was just this tiny little section. And I was just thinking about it. It seems weird that there's this tiny section. And there's like all this stuff about how bad money is and possessions and stuff is. And then over here how bad it is. And just in the middle there's this tiny little perch where it's saying enjoy the stuff you have. Enjoy your money. I, I think there's a reason. I think this literature is supposed to show us, this literary technique is showing us what our lives are like when it comes to money and stuff. There's this tiny little perch where you can be on and you can fall to one side or the other very easily. You guys may leave here today with a better view of money and possessions. You're like, I think I got it. And then you'll see someone's big house down the street. Or someone so will get a new vehicle. And then all of a sudden, you're wobbling a little bit, right? 
You're starting to fall. It's dangerous. Somebody's worried right now. Somebody's really stressed out that I'm even up here, right? But I think that's how it is with our money and our stuff. There's this tiny little perch where we can be safe when we enjoy it as a gift from God. But if we're not careful, we're going to fall off. And guess what? We're going to fall off. And we need to learn to change our mindset and and really do it again and again and again. And this is what I want you to know today. This is what I want you to know, that you can't buy happiness, but you can receive it. You can't buy happiness. You can't ever have enough stuff to make you happy. That You'll fall on this side or the other because you're always thinking, if I had more money, if I had more stuff, if I just had this thing, if I had a bigger house, if I could go into that college, then I would be happy. But guess what? You can't buy happiness, but you can receive it. So I want to focus on that word receive. Look at our, uh, that, that short section, you know, our short section in the middle again. Let's, let's pull up that passage in 18 to 20. And it said, this is what I've observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life. God has given them. Notice that word. God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a what? Gift from God. Giving, giving, gift. I think it's important in that one little section on that perch saying you've got to realize that everything you have is a gift from God. And until you realize that, until you realize it's our job to just receive those things, you will never be able to find true happiness. You'll be looking over here and looking over here and you're going to fall off the perch. But when you realize it's just a gift, I can receive it from God then maybe you can find joy and contentment. You've got to learn to receive the gift. You've got to learn to receive the gift. I think this is so important because the Bible wants us to have this type of contentment. This is contentment, right? We did a whole series on this last spring. If you miss it, you can go back and listen on stapletonchurch.com under the media tab. We have audio and video of the contentment series. It was really popular, uh, I think, because we live in an era that there's a a lot of stuff around us. We live in an area of town where people have very big houses. And you're like, oh my gosh, you paid how much for that? Maybe it's not that big. How much did you pay for that? And we can get envious of the people around us. We compare ourselves to others because they have so much more than we do. You know, it's why people in our society, I saw this study that people that made over $200,000 a year, 41% reported that they cried because they weren't rich enough. Cried, that's a weird thing. People that make $500,000 a year report that they feel just average. Because there's always someone who has more than you, right? We've got to learn to just receive what we have and say it's a gift. Whether I have a lot or I have a little, that's contentment. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul would write about this concept. And he said, this is what we can do as Christians. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is possible through Jesus Christ. Now, most people think this means you can win a basketball game, that verse. Seriously, that's like athlete's favorite verse. No, no, it means you can be content no matter what you have, whether you win or lose, whether you have a ton or you have nothing, whether you're poor or rich. Money is not the answer. You can't buy happiness. You can, however, receive it. And you've got to have that attitude. I'll just receive whatever you have for me, God. 
And when you can begin to develop that, no matter what is happening in your life, you can be content and have happiness. I've shared this quote before from Mary Slessor, but it's so good. She was a missionary to Africa, and she said, I am not very particular about my bed these days. Didn't get it on Casper. It doesn't have the, the best, newest pillow top. But as I lay on a few dirty sticks laid across and covered with a litter of dirty corn shells with plenty of rats and insects, three women and an infant three days old alongside and over a dozen sheep and goats and cows outside, you don't wonder that I slept little. <laughs> but I have had such a comfortable, quiet night in my own heart. This is possible. And I think this is what we should aim for as followers of Jesus that we can be content, that we can find our place on that perch if we learn to receive what God has for us. We learn to just receive it. So I want to give you three applications today. That is three applications for how we can receive it. So the first one is to receive everything with thankfulness. With thankfulness. It's going to change your attitude if you just start thanking God for what he has given you. And a pretty simple thing we can do when you got gifts, I remember my mom over and over again, when I got a gift for Christmas or my birthday from somebody, my mom always said, now say what? Thank you. Okay? It's this practice, hopefully your mom dwell, drilled into you, but most of us have still forgotten. Did you know that everything you have is a gift from God? So when you eat a meal, that's why we say thanks. Thanks, God. When we see the sunrise, when we wake up in the morning, God, thank you for another day I get to live. When we go out and do anything, we can be thankful for the friends we have, the, the moments we can have with our spouses and our children, with friends, that we can be here at church together in freedom to worship however we want. These are so many things to be thankful for. When you're stuck in traffic on your commute, just thank God you have a job. God, thank you that I have a job. When there's so many people, God, thank you that I live in this city where I can reach more people for Christ. <laughs> I don't care how, many, how busy this bus is today. We can be thankful for everything God has, but we should actually do it. Do you verbalize it? Or, or do you even just say that quiet, silent prayer? I'm, I'm telling you, for everything you have, we need to thank God for it. We need to have an attitude of receiving gifts, not thinking we deserve it. Not thinking we're owed it. Not thinking it's our right. We're entitled to have this good life. No, 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 no. We're not. It's all a gift, and we should be thankful for it. Receive everything with thankfulness. The, thank, the second thing is to refresh others with generosity. Refresh others with generosity. Now, if everything we have is a gift, that means we can give it away. We can use it for others because it wasn't ours to begin with, right? We can use it to help others, to refresh others. This comes from Proverbs, Proverbs 11:25, I believe. It says, a generous person will prosper Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Here's an interesting thing. You will be happier the more you give away. Not the more you keep for yourself. That's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. When you receive things, it's only just to pass it on to the next person. To use your nice house to host people. Have people over for meals. Host a community group in the fall. That's a great idea. Use some more of those. Use your house to serve others. Use your boat. Take other people out on the boat on the lake. Find a kid who's never been out on the lake and say, hey, you want to come? I'll take out your whole family. You have an RV. Okay, go camping with other people. Enjoy time that you can spend as, as a family. Give it to your kids, to your family, to people who are in need. See those who are the least and the poor and say, how can I help them with what I have been given? 
Is there money that I could give generously? You know, I, I just encourage you guys to do it. This is one of the reasons why we're taking the offering at the end. You didn't pick up on this. It's, I want to encourage you guys to try it. Try generosity. And this is what I want to say. I'll just say it right now. If you don't trust me or our church, I get it. A lot of people don't trust pastors or churches or Christianity. Give wherever you want. Okay? I want, if you're part of our church family, to give to our church. But if you're not, I want you to give today. To feel that generosity, you can give to the Denver Rescue Mission. That's a great way to help homeless. I don't care. I as we pass the plate here after the message, if you're like, I don't want to give here, I don't trust this church yet, that's okay. Take out your phone and give somewhere else. Okay? That's cool. But generosity is going to make you actually happier. When you refresh others, you will be refreshed. There's something powerful in the joy of giving. So that's the second thing. We need to refresh others with generosity. And here's the third one. It's that we need to realize it wasn't yours to begin with. It wasn't yours to begin with. So that if God does take it away, you're not throwing a fit like a toddler. Isn't that what toddlers do? That's my toy! Hey, no, we've got to learn to share. You know, it's not your toy, even if it is. It's share. Okay, it's the same thing with God. We throw fits when things get taken away from us. You know, we may call it grief. We may need counseling for it, but it's still just throwing a fit because we have treated the things in our life as if they're ours, that we possess them, that we hold on to them. But if we have the attitude of receiving a gift, we hold on to things a little bit looser. We enjoy them while we have them, and then when they're taken away, we say, well, that was fun. On to the next thing. We just need to learn to realize it wasn't yours to begin with. It wasn't yours to begin with. Um, St. Francis of Assisi uh, once said, Blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall enjoy everything. Do you want to have a happier life? Do you want to have a more full life? Do you actually want to feel more secure? You've got to realize this stuff isn't yours to begin with. And then you'll enjoy everything. See, God wants you to be happy. He wants you to find your way onto that perch and not fall off. He keeps calling you back to it and saying, I, I have everything you need. Just trust me. But we have put money as the king, as our God, and we have worshipped it, and it lets us down every single time. Every single time. But we can find true joy, true contentment when we learn to receive it. Everything we have is a gift from God and from God alone. So as I have the band come up right now, I want to just encourage you. How can you change your mindset, okay? We're taught so much. We see all these images every day. Hundreds of advertisement we see every day. Did you know that? Saying if you just buy this, if you try this, if you do that, you'll be happy. No, it's going to let you down. You can't buy happiness, but you can receive it. So let's receive it today. With everybody's eyes closed right now, I just want everybody to close their eyes. And I know there are some here today that have not made Jesus their Lord and Savior. And maybe what I've been talking about, they're like, that sounds great. I do want true happiness, but Matt, I don't even follow Jesus, so how can I have it? Well, you can't. You can't find true joy apart from Christ, apart from Christ Jesus. So if you're here and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please just raise your hand? If there's anybody here, if there's anybody here who wants to, or anybody watching online, I just want to encourage you to pray and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior so that you can begin that journey to joy. And I just want to encourage everybody with eyes closed, could you just stretch out your hands? Stretch out your hands. 
Because we need to get that posture of, of receiving. Just stretch out your hands as if you're going to catch a football. If you're going to just receive a gift from somebody. Say, hey, my arms are open, Lord, because I want joy. I want you to reach your hands out. And let me pray for you. Lord God, we have so much, and yet we still long for more, Lord. I pray that you would change our hearts and that you would give us joy. We are here to receive happiness from you and from you alone. Lord, help us learn to receive it. And, and Lord God, let us just be able to embrace the moments of joy and happiness whenever we can. The stuff we have, the food we ha- get to eat, Lord God, would you help us to enjoy them, knowing that they are a gift from you. Lord, give us happiness, contentment, and joy today. Amen. So we're going to collect that offering right now. And like I said, if, if you're a member here or a regular here, if this is your church home, we encourage you to give and give generously. It will bring you joy. You will refresh others. We use um, some of our offerings to, to serve lots of different people in our community and around the world. So we encourage you to give that way. And if you're like, Matt, I'm not ready to give here. Cool. I'm cool with that. I just want you to give. So give somewhere. Take out your phone. Even if you're here and you're giving part of our church on our website, stapletonchurch.com, you can click that little button on the right, uh, bottom right, that circle, and that's how you can give online. Make it real simple for you guys. I want to encourage you guys to do that. In Jesus' name.